It's only by good luck that I survived driving my first car, an original Volkswagen Beetle. It was a beaten-up, road-hazard death trap. But man, I loved it. Sahara beige was the color when it left the factory, but it was more primer and bondo by the time I bought it off a front lawn in Niagara Falls for something like 400 or 500 bucks. It wasn't even technically street legal. Back then, a couple of extra bucks could usually get you an inspection sticker, whether your car was roadworthy or not. Man, I love this car. And it was far and away the coolest ride in my high school parking lot. There was even a scene, like from a movie, when this cute girl said to me, this is a really cool car. And I felt like looking into the camera like Ferris Bueller and giving that double eyebrow raise. I learned to drive stick in this car in the Seneca Mall parking lot with my old man sitting next to me. In that parking lot, outside the old pennies, is where I got pulled over for the first time. West Seneca cops saw me driving back and forth in the parking lot and thought I was trying to kill seagulls. Man, my dad was pissed at that guy. <laughs> of course, if we're being honest, the memory of this broken-down beetle is great, but I'm also glad that I don't have to drive it every day anymore. If I think about this car long enough, my stomach starts to turn a little bit and my nostrils fill with the once-familiar essence of gas fumes, degrading Naugahyde seats, and some since-discontinued floral Lysol that I used to try and mask those other two smells. There were no working gauges in this car, including the speedometer and the gas gauge, no working heat, but it did have plenty of character. I daydream about this first car I ever owned, but I rarely think about my second car. Man, I hated that car. It was the most underrated vehicle I've ever owned, though. The 1987 Dodge Colt, manufactured in Japan by Mitsubishi, was an ugly, generic-looking 1980s Japanese hatchback hand-me-down from my parents. My old man had been in two accidents with it, and it didn't get fixed after those accidents. So it was not only ugly, but it was also busted up pretty bad. It was also embarrassing to drive this car, not just because it was ugly and busted up, but it made a loud, high-pitched squeal for the first 15 minutes or so it was driven. Fan belt couldn't be corrected. That dented, crunched-up little crap box would actually scream, look at me, as it was driving down the street, when that's the last thing I'd wanted anyone to do. Driving it was a continuation of the disappointing feeling I'd always had for that gold Colt from the very first moment I saw it, since it replaced our family's brown 1980 AMC Spirit as our family car. The poor Colt never had a chance. It was a sad final drive with my old man, smoke belching from the Spirit, from that still-solid American-built tank, as we dropped it off in trade for that light, plasticky, insect-like Colt. Even the key was a disappointment. I thought, well, at least we'll get a cool Dodge Chrysler key with that iconic five-point star pentagon on the top of the key. But no, this car had a giant odd-shaped key with holes drilled into it and Mitsubishi stamped across the top. Everything about this car was gross, ugly, disappointing, and it had some serious bad mojo, too. Dad was rear-ended so hard in the Colt that the bucket seats were permanently bent and he had to have surgery from the resulting whiplash. That car would almost certainly be totaled today. And who knows, maybe it was then, but we continued to drive it as a family for years. I also remember from the passenger seat the time when a kid cut out in front of my dad on a bike on Seneca Street. 
The bike wound up all mangled, and while the kid bounced off and permanently dented the hood of the car, he was a teenager and made of rubber, and he was fine. My dad grabbed his crumpled up bike, put it in the trunk, told him to get in the car, and drove him home. Once my dad dropped off the kid, he looked at me, a parliament with too much ash dangling from his lip, and told me, in the tone of voice only my dad could muster, that if he ever saw me riding my bike like that, I wouldn't have to worry about a car because he'd grab me and rip my goddamn head off. That is how my old man said he cares. The cold had been passed around the family for a couple of years, a couple of different uncles drove it, and then I drove it for a very short period of time to get to work and school. I did my best to upgrade this car, which by the time I got it, looked like it had been abandoned on the streets of Sarajevo during the Bosnian War. I went to Kmart, bought and installed a radio with a cassette deck, which made the music coming out of the single speaker in the middle of the dashboard a little bit more tolerable. I also went to a head shop and bought all kinds of stickers, most of which were for bands that I'd no interest in or ever even heard of. But I had to put something on this car to make it a little less ugly, at least to detract from the ugly. One of the stickers was a giant Jerry Garcia desert face decal, and while I wasn't a deadhead by any means, I at least knew who he was, and I had a touch of gray on a few of my mixed cassettes that I was now able to play in the vehicle's soundtrack, so there was that. But it wasn't too long before I passed this car along to some other desperate-for-transportation family member, and I bought myself a well-used 1986 Volkswagen Golf from a driveway on Kenmore Avenue near the boulevard. Anyway, something made me think of that old Dodge Colt, which really deserves a second look from someone for something other than that screaming fan belt. Wondering how I got here, I'm Steve Seashon.